0: Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Schulman
1: and I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural season 3 episode 8, A Very Supernatural Christmas. Let's get this show ho ho on the road.
0: Hi, everyone. Due to the nature of this episode, we will be discussing child sexual assaults in critical time. If that's not something you want to hear us discuss, you can skip this segment either for now or entirely. We don't mind. We just want you to feel safe and take care of yourselves.
1: Can you believe that we are already halfway through season three? I
0: I mean, I know it's a shorter season. We've made this clear, but it's still like, I, mm, so weird how quick we're moving through the show all of a sudden, how like, Season one, not to offend anyone or anything, but season one felt like it took its sweet damn time. And then season three is like, the brothers, this happens, and then that happens, and then finale. And I'm like, "Uh, uh,
1: what? what?" That's basically what we're seeing right now. It feels like things are speeding up. And I, I do think that in part, it's because we have 16 episodes instead of the 22 that we usually get.
0: Is this the only short season?
1: This is the only short season until season I think season 13 and 14 only have 20 episodes, if I'm not mistaken. And this is also an episode that we got to watch with our Bobby level patrons.
0: Yes. And we had a great time. We uh, continued our hate for John and discussed Christmas a little bit. And we had a good time and
1: a little emotional sometimes. There may have been tears. I can imagine that you know who they came from.
0: The answer is both of us.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) I was like, did I not make that clear? (laughs) (laughs) And of course, if you'd like to be part of our monthly live events, you can check out our Patreon on patreon.com slash carrying wayward. Are we ready for the recap? Count me down. Three, two, one, go.
0: It's Christmas. And like any good Christmas holiday, there's got to be an evil thing coming down the chimney and taking people away and most likely murdering them or eating them. It is bad the boys show up they start investigating they start to go over some basic christmas myths which is kind of cool like they don't just jump right to what the solution is they kind of play around some other possible mythology like the krampus ultimately we do find out that it is tied to some pagan rituals and eventually a pair of pagan gods who have kind of gotten with the times despite being like they're out of an old 60s television show um and throughout the episode we get adorable flashbacks although really heartbreaking flashbacks to young Sam and young Dean alone on Christmas. And we learn that Dean wants to have this because this is last Christmas. And Sam's like, I can't have a last Christmas with you because I have to admit you're going away. And they have a really cute Christmas ending and it's really heartfelt and sad. And we learn the origin of Dean's necklace. And I'm going to stop now before I cry again. Time.
1: Only dogs can hear you now. (laughs) (laughs) Did I
0: reach that level? Oh, God. So do you want to cover in the long game anything that I did not express in legible English and anything important?
1: The long game is actually going to be quite short today. I only have three points, but this is the first Supernatural special episode.
0: I know it's our only Christmas episode, but do we get other specials?
1: There are a couple more specials, especially for the, uh, you know, the big ones, like the 100th, the 200th, etc.
0: I was thinking holidays and I'm like I guess we do a Thanksgiving special, maybe an Arbor Day special. I mean I don't
1: know. <laughs> No, unfortunately, Supernatural doesn't quite do that.
0: Oh, come on, an Arbor Day special with a murderous tree demon or something?
1: There is a murderous tree of some sort. It's a tree spirit, but we'll see. We'll see about that. That's actually in the 200th episode, funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> It's also worth mentioning that at first, the brothers thought that the creature in this episode was Santa's brother gone rogue. So again, we have another mention of an evil brother this season.
0: Oh, I didn't even think of that.
1: Just because it's dressed up in Christmas doesn't mean that Supernatural isn't continuing its, like, evil brother propaganda. (laughs) The last thing that I'll mention is that the Kerrigans did have, like, that very special, like, Pleasantville vibe that we're going to find again in an episode called Peace of Mind, and that will be season 14, episode 15.
0: I always like that in a show, that kind of, like, everything's too normal vibe. It's always a good, like, swing the other way on the uncanny valley. And with that, shall we hop into story time?
1: This week, we actually meet the brothers as they are investigating men that are disappearing from homes around Christmas time. They're talking to the wife of a victim, and then they go back to the motel to investigate. You know, pretty typical Supernatural episode vibes. And this is where we sort of get our first glimpse of what I think, anyway, this episode is really about. Dean says that Santa doesn't exist. And then Sam goes, I know, you're the one who told me that in the first place, remember? And there's this really long beat there.
0: That was just like one of those moments of... I guess you don't really think about it like it's it's a great conversation piece now that we can talk about it. Like what other supernatural things do or don't exist that we take for granted? Like I can almost imagine the joke when the tooth fairy becomes a thing and it's actually scarier than we think it is. Or it's actually not that scary, but the brothers have to kind of just like sidestep it a bit for some reason. Like I just I can imagine the play with that. And, you know, like, it's having them tell us now that Santa doesn't exist. Again, given the track record of the show, I still have assumptions we might meet Santa one day.
1: I love that you, like, clung on to the fact that, like, you know, Santa doesn't exist. When for me, what mattered in the sentence was the fact that it was Dean who had to have that conversation with Sam and not John.
0: That's what I want to get to, though. We have this kind of world we have to then think about. It's the fact that they've clearly had these moments, even though we do find out this particular moment does kind of happen at the same time as finding out demons are real, which I guess kind of adds insult to injury.
1: (laughs) That's right. Oh, Sam. It's something that Sam remembers, right? Because he changes the topic immediately.
0: And I mean, especially when you see that flashback of when he first finds out that demons are real and even says, is Santa real? And Dean just goes, no. In that moment, it's like Dean has stopped protecting Sam for a moment. He's opening the door to not being mean, but just like, here's the truth I've been hiding from you. And suddenly it's no holds bar. In that moment, I don't think we have any empirical evidence that Santa doesn't exist. Dean's just being the, you know, the way any child who's old enough to stop believing in Santa is. I still argue there is a f- complete possibility Santa's real in this universe and they just haven't met him yet.
1: Let's hang on to that then. Once they do get to the bleakest Santa's village ever, Dean says that they should have a Christmas this year, and Sam pretty much says, basically, uh, no. Now, we know from previous episodes that Sam doesn't like Halloween, and now we're getting a hint that he also doesn't like Christmas. And I have to say that I really relate to the idea of not liking holidays in general. For the better part of my own 20s, I didn't speak to most of my family, so holidays were kind of a reminder of that and of my own loneliness. And when we think of the life that Sam has lived, I can't imagine that his holidays, particularly like his Christmases, would be anything other than disappointments.
0: I know I spoiled this a bit already when I did my recap, but like we find out one of the bigger reasons he doesn't want to have a Christmas right now is because it would be admitting it's his last Christmas. with. And when you really think about the way these holidays very traditionally focus on family and you have... You know, a family that's dwindling. In fact, you're down to the last member of your blood family who's about to kick the bucket in a matter of weeks or months. It's not really the time to feel like celebrating for a holiday. I totally get it.
1: You know, I am going to slightly offer like offer a slightly different perspective because, you know, there are people with terminal diagnoses around the holidays who still have to literally muddle through. You know, families can then decide how what they want to do. And some people will choose to do an all out holiday. Like, let's just do everything that we can in order to have beautiful memories, to like give the, the dying person a wonderful time and the people who will remain after their death, some wonderful memories. And so that's, that's an experience that I just, I don't want us to kind of push aside because it's not, I don't think it's everybody who would want to, to not do anything, to not celebrate at all.
0: That's the Dean side of this conversation. This is Dean saying, this is my last Christmas. I want a good Christmas. And I know in this case, we're very much putting it down as Dean being the one whose life is on a limit and wants to have his big, his last big Christmas versus Sam who doesn't want to have to celebrate Christmas Thing about this being the last one or having to say goodbye to Dean. It can go both ways. You could be someone who knows this is their last chance at a holiday and doesn't want to celebrate it or be the one who is trying to bring the joy of the holiday to someone who otherwise wouldn't. It's not exclusive in this case, but this is very much the dichotomy they presented us with.
1: Now that we've exhausted all of our talking points for later in this episode, let's come back to where we were. You're right, actually. And in this scene, we clearly find out that Dean doesn't feel the same way. He basically wants to have a good last Christmas, and he wants to give Sam good memories of his time with him. Let's keep in mind that he was also the one making the efforts to give Sam as normal as he could holidays, right? He even calls Sam the Grinch, which, I kid you not, was actually my nickname at my place of work in my early 20s.
0: (laughs) It's amazing because, like, the Mary I know could never be a Grinch.
1: And yet... (laughs) This all changed when I had my son, because then I had somebody to to make memories for. And so in that sense, I really, I relate to Dean very much. But in my early 20s, I was very much a Sam when it came to the holidays.
0: We'll have to dig into that more. I'm very intrigued.
1: This is when we are transported back to 1991, when Sam was eight and Dean was 12. It was the night before Christmas.
0: And all through the house, Dean was being a parent because John was an ass that almost right I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> and all through the motel. <laughs> and this particularly hits home also for me because my son just turned eight this year. And it just puts a very personal spin on it. So we're seeing Sam and Dean who are talking, you know, about Sam wrapping a gift for John. And Dean, 12-year-old Dean. His very first reaction is to ask Sam if he stole the money for the gift or the gift itself, you know, in that moment, you, we can just assume that it's because that's what he's had to do in the past. And we're even proved right later in this episode.
0: You imagine in a the life they live and the way they're presented to us, gifts aren't a commodity you have very frequently. If there's something you wanted, you either stole it or won it, I guess, somehow, maybe, or found it. I say with air quotes.
1: (laughs) Or Bobby would give it to you, which is the case here.
0: Which I still feel is probably the outlier of those scenarios.
1: Oh, very much so, I agree. But it again shows that Bobby was just such a wonderful parental figure for them. In that same scene, Dean is trying to convince Sam that John is going to be here before Christmas. And I don't know about you, but to me it really felt like he was trying to convince himself of that too. Especially when he knows already that the burden of Christmas is probably going to fall onto him and probably not for the first time.
0: I feel like if John turned up, he would be a mess and it would just be worse than if he hadn't hadn't shut up.
1: And Sam is asking questions. Dean is dodging them. And then and then Sam asks about Mary and Dean snaps,
0: which I'm sure is a trait he learned from John.
1: This was the question right when we were watching this with our patrons. You know, how would John have reacted to Dean asking questions about Mary for Dean to have this reaction to Sam?
0: The whole parentification and passing down of trauma we've seen uh, innumerable times at this point in Dean's character. It It's a combination of taking up the slack that John has left in the para- the parental side of things but also picking up the habits and the way the rules work and the way that things have to be structured in the defending yourselves and likely here as well in the way he answers questions.
1: This is actually something that the more I rewatch the series, the more I realize how important it is to recognize that Dean is recreating John's patterns. And he's obviously not doing it on purpose. And I think that he hates himself for it. And just another reason why he hates himself. But he doesn't like it. He just doesn't know how to break free of these patterns because that's probably all he's ever known.
0: Yeah, it's hard to break a habit, especially if it's a habit you don't necessarily get called out on or realize you're doing. And I think that's the problem with picking up a habit from somebody is it becomes so second nature that it's hard to drop it, per se. Like, it's one thing to you know, pick up smoking. It's a very obvious thing you're doing. It's a sudden change in your personality. Someone will notice it and you can have a conversation about it. But something that's been instilled in you since you were a child, that's something you've done your entire life that you don't realize isn't part of you and is in fact a habit you've picked up from a parent is much harder to catch.
1: There's this um, saying that I can't remember who said trauma decontextualized in a person looks like a personality trait and trauma decontextualized in a family looks like family traits. It looks like it's personality traits that are being passed down from John to Dean. And I, I strongly do not believe that that's the case, because I think that Dean raised differently would not be acting this way and would be a lot more gentle with his little brother.
0: We have the empirical evidence of that already. We've seen the way Dean has evolved in reconnecting with Sam in even just these three seasons or two and a half seasons. We've seen Dean grow on his own and be a better person than what he was you know, set out to be because of John. Yeah, 100 percent. This is a very, very unfortunate case of the theory of nature versus nurture and this being a much more nurture thing.
1: Back to present time, uh, Dean is still trying to talk Sam into celebrating. Like that's kind of happening throughout the episode. And I think that it's important because he's also trying to turn a new leaf and acknowledging that what they had as kids was less than desirable, but that as adults, They are in charge and they can celebrate and make memories however they want to. And he's there, but Sam's just not ready for that, I think.
0: The way you worded that is the most healthy we have seen Dean in a long time. The fact that they can do things their way, even if it is something as small as the way we choose to celebrate our Christmas. He's basically saying, yeah, Christmas sucked growing up because dad sucked Now there is no one here to make it suck. We can make it good.
1: Drew, I just love that. Like when we were starting in season one and I was bashing John, you were like, oh, but you know, we don't know that much about him. And now you're like, because John sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I was it
0: it wasn't hard to convince me after seeing him this long.
1: No, no, no. It wasn't very hard, but it's just it's just (laughs) interesting to see like how quickly (laughs) there was this turnaround. And then we're dragged back again to 1991. There's a lot of that happening in this episode where Sam confronts Dean to make him understand that he knows more than what he's been told and that the Winchester family culture of lies and silence just doesn't work. And that's when Dean starts telling Sam about how John is a superhero. And again, I wonder if he's trying hard, like if he's trying his hardest to convince Sam or himself.
0: We've beat this horse a little bit this episode. I think this, again, falls in that same category of I need you to believe in John because if you don't, then I can't.
1: Like this also reminded me of Dean telling Henriksen that John is a hero. You know, like you know that he's saying it, but you don't know who he's really trying to convince in that moment. And so just a little bit after that, again, you have 12 year old Dean who's trying to manage the very big emotions of an eight-year-old Sam. And like you've mentioned, this is parentification in action because Dean should not be the one to have this conversation with Sam. Dean should not be responsible for Sam's well-being. Instead, he should be enjoying Christmas, not be responsible for making it happen for his little brother. Dean is a child, and he should be treated as such.
0: Like, I feel like the last time we got flashbacks, yes, it painted the light of John sucks and Dean has to take care of Sam. But I think then was more of a Dean has to take care of Sam out of necessity. This is really Dean taking care of Sam out of love. It would be so easy to just be like, oh, too bad. No Christmas. Dad's late. Or we'll do Christmas later when dad gets back. But no, no, I'm going to sneak out at night, break into a family down the street's home, steal their Christmas, literally pull a Grinch, steal the tree, and the ornaments of the gifts and bring it here to you and say surprise Not even it was Santa. It was John that came and did this, but he had to go.
1: Ooh, can we scratch at that for a second?
0: That he again needs John to be the hero that he thinks John is so that Sam still believes in him because he needs Sam to believe in something?
1: Basically, the image that Dean is trying to paint about John is as mythical and inexistent as Santa Claus.
0: You've pierced my heart. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh, but it's such a good observation i love that fabulously put
1: and then when sam realizes this he decides to give john's gift to dean instead and i think that this is a very important moment because this is where sam starts choosing dean over john
0: i fully believe that but do we know that
1: what do you mean Like, this
0: really does seem like a a turning point like that, but I'd be curious to see more flashbacks down the road maybe a year or two later where there's moments where Sam sides with Dean over John, even if it's siding with Dean to agree with John kind of thing, like never stepping out of line with John and going, well, Dean's right and you're wrong.
1: Yeah, but keep in mind that Dean would never argue with John in front of Sam, right? Like, that's the dynamic that's been established by the show. It's never Dean against John, the only time that that's ever happened was what we saw as adults. And it was Dean who stepped in in order to take Sam's side.
0: What I mean to say is I'd be curious to see if we get more flashbacks down the road, maybe a year or two after this. So, you know, Dean has the necklace we have the, or the pendant. We have proof that it's at post this. And seeing moments where maybe John gives a command. Sam's a little like, mm, I don't want to, but then does it for Dean. Like, I'd be curious to see more in their childhood, even if it's late childhood, to kind of show that this is the moment that it turns. Or is it more of just a we're led to believe this is the moment that it turns, that he becomes a follower of Dean and less a follower of John?
1: Well, you ask an interesting question because we're like Jeffrey Dean Morgan is no longer allowed to appear on the show as of a certain point because he was doing something else. So they lost the rights to show any picture of John Winchester on the show. So we don't see John at all until one episode in season 14, and that's it. So I can't... Qu- so, so that's why I'm saying what I'm saying, because that's, that's what it is.
0: <laughs> okay, no. That, that, you know, that makes sense from a critical angle. Yeah, you know, I see where you're coming from now.
1: And this, I think that this moment also means a lot to Dean, because at 28 years old, he's still wearing the necklace. right? Which, by the way... Is known in fandom as the Samulet, and this is what we'll be calling it from now on.
0: I'm very excited. I I got to learn this during our live watch, and it was a very cute moment with our listeners and our patrons.
1: Now we have our last time where we're back to present day. And I really love this moment because it's kind of a really nice way to loop the loop where it's Sam who's now organizing Christmas for Dean.
0: It's poetic. It's one of those moments of like, it's cliche, but cliches work for a reason. Cliche like we got to see the flashback where Dean did it for Sam. And now Sam is literally just turning the tables, which I think makes it even more special than had they just like got each other a gift or gone somewhere. Like the fact that he possibly stole a Christmas tree. I don't know if we have any evidence of him buying the tree or how he would afford one. So let's just say a tree was acquired through means. And in this case, I will allow stealing if that's the case.
1: He said that he got the decorations from I don't remember where, but he said that he purchased the decorations.
0: <laughs> there was still a tree, though.
1: But This is the U.S. You can buy anything anywhere, right? <laughs>
0: That's also a good point. I imagine they probably have those gas stations that sell you like a Christmas tree, a new car and like a refill on your like shotgun. America. <laughs> Just going to say it. But yes, oh. ultimately. An incredible ending to the episode. It is so sweet. It is so magical. Um, It's weird seeing Sam excited for porn.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was strange, eh? Like, every time we've seen him, like, I guess, faced with sexuality, like, he just doesn't, it it always seems awkward to him. And yet, in that moment, he was excited about porn. And I was like, good for you. Good for you, little bean. Yeah.
0: There, there's still a portion of me that feels like it may have been a part of the show for Dean.
1: You know what? Maybe. And that's OK. Like, I, to- I love that reading, actually.
0: Oh, yeah, no, it's totally OK. You, you, you can love the porn magazine for yourself or for somebody else. That is a weird sentence. and never take it out of context, please. And thank you, everyone.
1: <laughs> you can love the porn magazine for yourself or for your brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I tried to change it before I said those words. Now I got you on recording saying that one.
1: Well, listen, this is this is the show. This is (laughs) shall we move on to critical time?
0: Okay. this episode, as I said, was quite spectacular. Who do we have to thank for it?
1: This was written by Jeremy Carver, who so far has only given us Sin City, but will go on to write many episodes until season 11. And he will also be the showrunner from seasons eight to 11.
0: I think we may have had one more example of this previously, but just this. Writer who, like you said, is their second time writing for the show, and I was blown away by this episode, and I really didn't like their first episode? (laughs) The evolution from Sin City to this? Kudos? I can't wait for your third? It's going to be a masterpiece at this rate.
1: Or it could go back, you never know.
0: Ooh, a flip-flop type. Hmm, also a possibility. We'll have to see when episode three comes out. And who directed this one?
1: This was directed by J. Miller Tobin, who also directed Born Under a Bad Sign in season two.
0: Really good team. I really enjoy what they did together. I know some people while we were chatting uh, while watching this during the live had actually mentioned to look at some things like the blocking and the clothing choices and how they lined up with the flashbacks. And I thought it was really well done. Like, you know, it's the kind of thing you don't have to think about and you could probably not do. But when you put that little extra effort in, it just makes everything kind of click together nicer. Great shots. Again, that horrible, horrible Santa's village.
1: So bleak.
0: But it was a beautiful like set. Like it really told a story so easily, like from like the lack of snow to the like decrepitness of everything to the outfits they were wearing. Like it really felt dingy in a good way.
1: It was really well done in the sense that, like, the set was decorated perfectly for what it needed to be. It was so well done that I truly hated it. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that's a good thing. Drew drew shulman would you like to tell us a little bit about christmas
0: did you pull out the very jewish last name just for this
1: <laughs> maybe is that okay
0: That's <laughs> totally fine i think it's actually really funny uh and even funnier because i will actually not be talking about christmas in this christmas lore segment
1: oh, <gasps> oh my goodness please tell me more about not christmas
0: So, as we know, Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus, where three wise men followed a star to the manger, where religion was born alongside a miracle of a child born of a virgin and God. I'm going a little over the top.
1: You are not going over the top at all. That is exactly what the Bible says, Drew.
0: (laughs) The problem, though, is, and I feel like this is kind of the, like, anti-Christian view of it, which I'm not trying to do here. But you hear things like, you know, there's many pieces of this lore that don't really make sense. I've, even, I've read things about how the star placement wouldn't make sense for the time of year. Again, the time of year of Jesus' birth versus when Christmas takes place. I will not even go into the skin tone of people living in this area at this time versus the skin tone we often see Jesus depicted with. All this to say, there's different perspectives. Very often when one culture comes in and tries to usurp another culture or squeeze their way into another culture... They borrow things like dates and places and themes and pagan tradition was one of those religions that was very unfortunately um, a little squashed thanks to Christianity. And they got in there and tried to take over some of the holidays. It's why we have Christmas around the winter solstice, because that's when the pagan traditions around the tide and the, uh, the Yule time, the Roman holidays took place. Pagan tradition does vary, and in some cases, wildly from religion to religion. There is a lot of overlap, but also a lot of uniqueness. For example, the Yule time in more northern parts of uh, pagan tradition do follow some Norse mythology, so you'll actually find Odin in these legends as the gift giver. And the holidays do tend to always take place around the same time, either right before leading up to the winter solstice or post winter solstice as a celebration. There were even cases where pagans tried to accommodate Christianity by moving the holiday either before or after to not overlap with Christmas. Even we also get a lot of traditions from pagan holidays that have moved into our uh, or society's version of Christmas from magical gift givers. Fun fact, as I mentioned earlier, one of these magical gift givers was Odin. You know, the really big guy with a big belly and a white beard. (laughs) Just just throwing some things out there. Interesting. As this was a time of rebirth, we'd often have cakes filled with small bits of fruit that um, I've still never tried, but I hear are terrible.
1: Fruitcake is delicious.
0: (laughs) You will have to correct that for me one of these days. We'll figure it out. And even the tradition of going door to door and singing, albeit when it was done back in the pagan days, this was referred to as wassailing and not caroling. And it was done um, very, very drunkenly in order to celebrate your good health. I bring this up, and I want this lore segment to have a lesson today. Across the globe, this time of year, we have holidays that celebrate light and life. Around this time of year, I know religion is not for everyone, and not everyone has a holiday they choose to celebrate right now. But I hope everyone can find a little light in their life this time of year, through any and all practices they see fit. From me to you, and to everyone, a happy winter solstice.
1: I love that.
0: And I will say thank you as well for helping me write this one. This was a team effort towards the end. I needed a holiday helper.
1: (laughs) Always happy to help.
0: Now, Mary, do you have any critiques in this episode we can take away?
1: I have questions about why Supernatural always finds a way to turn sexual assault into a cheap joke. So we're taking quite a turn from like finding the light in your life to like something much more serious and much less pleasant. So we'll go over this briefly. We've seen this done with women, we've seen this done particularly with men, and in this episode, the show managed to joke about sexual assault on children. And just to kind of set the scene, when they were at, you know, the very bleak Santa's village, there's an innuendo about Santa having a quote-unquote special gift for the little boy sitting in his lap. And then Sam says that they're only here to watch. Honestly, it's, it's just gross. And what I mean by that is that if you're going to talk about child sexual assault, then you should make it a point to center survivors' stories and thoughts about it, not just make cheap and uncomfortable jokes.
0: I remember sitting there with our listeners as we got to this part, and there was kind of a communal just like gag reflex moment.
1: It was just very awkward to watch. It's not funny. It's just not funny. And I know that, oh, it was just a joke. Well, explain it to me because I don't think it's funny.
0: This is, I think, a huge flaw in, I feel, a lot of movies and TV from this era. I feel like I have rewatched so many old movies over the last few years, and there's just jokes that just don't land anymore because we have grown as a culture and learned why they're not funny. And this is very much the kind of joke that I'm sure some idiot writer thought was great and just stuck it in, and we're looking at it now years later and realizing, yeah, no, that was, it wasn't good then, but now we have even more context to why this is not the kind of thing you put into a show.
1: Yeah, thank you for for saying that, actually, for reiterating that it wasn't funny then, and it's still not funny now. And now we have language to understand, and we have knowledge to understand why. Would you have any personal reflection or call to action for this week?
0: I do, and it does kind of tie into my lore segment a little bit, and a lot of what Dean and Sam went through this episode, at least towards the end. And that is, this is a time of year to, you know... Enjoy tradition. I think we've mentioned it before, either creating tradition or falling back on existing tradition. And whether or not that is holiday centric or religious or family or spiritual, this is a time of year where traditions do tend to kind of rise. Uh, I have traditions in what kind of drinks I make around the house, what kind of movies we watch. You know, again, I am Jewish. I do a little bit of Hanukkah with the family. We have a few traditional meals we have which is really just overly the top sugary breakfast with way too much bacon. It was fabulous, by the way, if anyone's asking. There was so much French toast. I still have some upstairs I'm going to have after this. But it's remembering those moments. It's remembering those things that do bring you, whether happiness or togetherness or just make you feel good. My call to action is to remember to look for those things and invite people into them when I can. You know, if I'm going to have my big family breakfast type thing, or if I want to do that with just the wife and some of her uh, friends as well. Like, I want this to be an excuse to reach out to people. And after the year we've all been through, it's nice to reach out to people where you can.
1: Doesn't that ring true? Thank you so much for sharing that, Drew. I love that.
0: I'm glad I could. And for yourself this week.
1: In the past few weeks, I've actually spent a lot of time going through multiple boxes and suitcases of photos and photo albums that my grandma kept in her condo in Montreal. I was really shocked to see how many photos there were of Christmases through the years. There were photos of Christmas going back to 1974! That, with watching this episode, kind of made me think about how important it is like you said, to make memories with our loved ones, to make room for special moments. So this holiday season, I feel called to make time and make room for my mom and my son to make some memories all together.
0: Oh, yay. Super wholesome reflections and calls to actions this week. I love this.
1: I know. It is, I mean, it is Christmas, right? So we might as well. Let's lean in as much as we can.
0: <laughs> Let our inner Santas out.
1: <laughs> Shall we go see what the community has to say?
0: This week, we have a message from Abby.
1: And this is a message that I will be reading for Abby. Hi, Drew and Mary. I'm currently on your podcast episode talking about Season 1, Episode 18. And while I know you guys are now into the later half of Season 2 and may have touched this topic again in another episode from another viewer already, But I would like to just add on the link between metaphor of intergenerational trauma from a perspective of someone who does come from an indigenous background, but is far removed, specifically aboriginal. So sorry if some terminology or language is culturally confusing, I will try to keep it more broad and the connection to that being shown in sickness. I know for many indigenous peoples that the use of sicknesses was a way to make those people both reliable to the colonizers and to wipe out populations, making these colonizers a false authority figure. I thought it was important to touch connection that the monster was actually a doctor, which is seen as an authority figure, but when the audience is introduced to the idea that the doctor is the monster, it replicates a similar experience, where the children's whole perception of safety is taken away, much like how indigenous children who were forced to grow in a white society see authority figures such as doctors, and child safety workers as frauds once we started learning and having access to our history. And seeing Dean's experience as a parental figure failing to stop this monster before can then parallel the mothers and aunties of these children failing to save their children. Obviously, there is some important discussion in how bad that comparison is comparing white male with Indigenous women, but I think that the connection is much needed to be seen.
0: If I can respond, I think that it is just so powerful of you to share with us i mean number one just being allowed to have someone share this perspective on a scenario with us that we ourselves could not provide i think is what this show needs it's something that our show specifically hopes that we can continue to garner in our listeners and fans and patrons is a chance to let everyone's story be told we have limited backgrounds. We have limited knowledge. We've only experienced what we've experienced. We can't know what everyone's been through. Even if we've been told the stories, we can't connect on that same level. Abby, thank you so much for opening up and sharing this with us. I think that is just so touching, so hard to reckon with after reading this. An amazing observation. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for trusting us with your experience and to trust, to trust us with With sharing this observation, I always feel very humbled when an Indigenous person feels compelled to share something with me because I've been told and I understand that it takes a lot of energy to have white people listen and understand you. So, thank you very much for this. I absolutely agree with you. Like, this is such an interesting read of the situation that this doctor is supposed to be someone that you trust, it's an authority figure, and yet. He is the one bringing disease. He is the one who is leading to the death of all of these children. And there's certainly a really frightening parallel to be drawn here. And yes, of course, there, there's, you know, we don't want to compare Indigenous women to Dean as a white man, but I definitely understand where you're going with this. So, Abby, thank you so, so much for sharing this with us.
0: Thank you very much. With that, shall we head on to the crossroads?
1: Yes, please. <laughs> So my crossroads this week is that I really wish that Supernatural would get its herbology right.
0: (laughs) Yes, Mary's Herbology Corner, let's go.
1: We didn't talk about this this entire episode because I specifically kept it for this. But again, what we're shown as being a specific plant is not actually what this plant looks like. What we're showed as being meadowsweet is not meadowsweet. If you look up meadowsweet, that is not what it looks like. It doesn't have these big, like, white balls. (laughs) Also, I will add that holly leaves look nothing like vervain or verbena and mint. And yet that's what Sam says. You know, he's like, that's not holly. That's vervain and mint. And I'm like, like, how could you even mistake those two things? You know, like holly have such distinctive, distinctive leaves compared to mint. And I also take issue with like, the show saying that verbena and mint are, quote unquote, "serious pagan stuff, like it just kind of makes me cringe because these plants are pretty generic. And what I mean by that, it's like, it's not like white sage that's directly associated with closed indigenous practices. Verbena and mint, you can grow, I mean, verbena not so much, but like you can grow mint in your garden pretty much anywhere in the world almost.
0: It really just feels like it's one of those areas where they just assumed no one would ever care enough to call them out. So they just put zero effort into it. We've already made we've already had like our swing at them for being really bad at like the way they handle certain mythos and lore. I look back at the indigenous connections to bugs and how that was just an atrocity. And it's like they've transferred all of their lack of caring and effort into their plants now.
1: I don't like it at all.
0: I look forward to a Mary's Herbology corner that one day might be positive. I hold out hope that one day they will mention a plant and you will go, yay, they were right, gold star.
1: I mean, the evergreen was right, you know, but like, I feel like that's a pretty low bar.
0: They got Christmas trees right. Good for them.
1: (laughs) On an episode about Christmas. (laughs) What about you, Drew? What would you like to deal at the crossroads?
0: I know this episode was so about Sam and Dean and their brotherliness and their connection. When I think of them and their little family right now, there's a third member of that family and it's Bobby. And I wanted something from Bobby for Christmas, like something small, something like anything like I would have just like I wanted like and I know no matter what you do with Bobby, it would have ruined something in their relationship or their dynamic when it comes to Christmas. But I would have loved something of or from Bobby, like just some little tiny thing, even just a cutaway to him post credits, like just sipping eggnog by the fire and being like, I hope the boys are okay." I would have been like,
1: yes. You know, it's interesting because he's mentioned in both periods in the sense that like he's mentioned in 1991 and in the in in present day. So he is present throughout. Right. But he's not visible.
0: He's very in passing and at least proves he exists in both realms around Christmas. But I don't know. I just knowing we don't really get another Christmas episode per se. I just would have liked to have seen Bobby in an ugly Christmas sweater that he knit himself by the fire with his eggnog sharing it with the boys. It'll be my little fantasy vision of them one day.
1: That would have been lovely.
0: Oh, can you imagine the sweaters Bobby would learn to knit for the brothers? (laughs) Idiot and moron.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Mary is now totally picturing what it would take to knit me an idiot sweater. I hope you are all okay with that mental image.
1: That is exactly what I'm picturing. Merry Christmas, you filthy idiot. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira and Michelle, for their generous support.
0: This week, we'd like to thank Abby for their message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at CarryingWayward at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at CarryingWayward. And be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts.
1: And don't forget to join our Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com slash carrying wayward. We'll be taking a break for the holidays and we'll be back on January 14th with a new episode.
0: Carry on our wayward friends. Where three wise men followed a star to this manger. I realized what manager in the notes.
1: <laughs> oh, so I, I, I just <laughs> to, to say that out loud. To the manager. <laughs> Three went to wise the manager. Man went hotel? To the manager. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they should not be in a manger. <laughs> that was a beautiful <laughs> episode.
1: It's, it's the story of the birth of Karen.
0: <laughs> Three wise carriages went to go see the manager.
1: <laughs> oh my God! What is wrong with us? Okay.
0: Oh, we are oh. terrible people, and I love us.